Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Kyle Soler to talk all about his Disney Plus series Andor. Um, and I wanted to start by talking about some of the conversations that you had with Tony Gilroy, who's the, the writer and the showrunner on this series at the beginning, um, because it sounds like he really had a sense of, of Cyril's arc kind of over the course of, of several years but kind of intentionally also allowed you that space of, of the unknown for certain aspects, kind of giving you just enough information, but also really allowing you a, a central space to really shape and create this character as well. And so I was interested in what some of the really vital details were that he gave you, like scenes where we get to kind of see you visiting your mom and what that dynamic is and where him actually leaving that space of the unknown was actually a helpful tool in developing this character for you. Yeah. Um... I guess I'd seen about four episodes um, before we started, and that that's a sort of complete journey for Cyril in a way. He has experiences a super high, high, and then an abysmal low um, within the space of like three episodes, actually. And you get to meet his mom at that point. And so I kind of got everything I needed to know about the guy from Tony's writing of those three, four episodes. And um, we spoke a lot about creating someone who was a kind of prime candidate for a fascistic structure like the empire. And I was really interested in people. I looked to the uh, period between the first and second world war, about people that got swept up into a cause, people that um, were just like your neighbors, right? And I, I don't think Cyril is particularly like everybody's neighbor. I think he's on another level um, of intensity, but um, he's, he's a very relatable person, I think. And he's a very real person who's conflicted actually, and has doubts and has high ideals for himself and for others. And what he actually wants Injustice and order is not necessarily a bad thing. He definitely goes about it in the wrong way. Um, and so I really wanted to kind of get into these real people who sort of just got swept away with a, a large, um, a large structure that symbolizes hope or future is something that they don't have. And Cyril, as you can see in the series, doesn't have a lot. Like he comes from a place of, of great lack, actually. I mean, the sunlight hits his bedroom window like for like two seconds a day. <laughs> and um, you see the oppressive um, environment that he was brought up in by his, by his mother. So, it's a very long way of saying that um, Tony allowed me a lot of free reign in order to create a kind of backstory. And yet the genius of his writing was kind of, you know, was, was already giving me a, a present and a future within what he had already created. And um, certainly being able to, to not know and kind of be frustrated in not knowing where he was going to end up and embracing that that um, limbo kind of state turned out to be really exciting because Cyril is, I've always thought of him as kind of an adolescent. You know, he's not really fully formed. He's, he doesn't, his intentions are huge and, and pure, so he thinks. 
but he doesn't yet have the capacity or tools to actually bring those intentions into focus and into reality. And with the fact you're bringing up the very constrictive, you know, relationship that he has with his mom, he also feels like someone who just has this huge emotional need and hole in himself. And did you kind of see him as well as someone who has probably like never really had that many close friends and has always found it quite difficult to connect and, and kind of for you, what was that emotional space that he's trying to fill within the empire that ultimately can't love him back, but he kind Mm -hmm. of feels like maybe there's a way that it can with approval. That's beautiful. That's exactly it. I always saw him as a bit of a loner because of his upbringing and it's quite intense, I think, for someone when nothing is ever good enough and you're constantly scrutinized and judged by your carer and your parent. And I think there's some sort of dissociative social thing going on with him as well. I mean, he can't, like socially, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't really doesn't really see it how other people see it. And yet there is this deep well of emotion beneath the surface, yearning for connection, yearning for approval, yearning for someone to say like, yeah, you matter. Yeah, 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 what you think is right. And I, I, I always, I always kind of saw that in Cyril. I think maybe, I guess Tony did as well, though we never spoke about it. Um, but eking that out throughout his journey has been, has been interesting because for Cyril to really progress, he has to go through a long dark night of the soul. In a way, you can might see that his childhood was one long dark night of the soul. But um, but no, he he has to he has to be faced with the task that he he loses, actually. And then he has to kind of pull himself out of the mud. And, um, and he does that at great kind of emotional cost. Yeah. And it, it's interesting as well, because it, it kind of feels like you said he's got that like real yearning, but he just doesn't quite have the right tools in order to like interact with people. So when he comes into the, the room and everybody's chatting socially and eating snacks, his response instead of joining in is, is to critique them and criticize them. And so yeah. how did you want to play that very like subversive side where he's kind of just almost looking down on everybody around him. And, and again, it's that idea that like he thinks that's going to ingratiate himself, but it just pushes him further away. Absolutely. I mean, he's got it all skewed. You know, like, it's like, this is just totally the wrong way. It'd be awesome if his, I don't know, I mean, somebody just came up to him and said, do what you're doing, but like flip it, like do the opposite and and you'll be fine. Um, Yeah, you know, he's, he's constantly trying on this suit of, of, of like, he's constantly trying on this suit of like being in a way. Like, can I be, can I be this, this good? Can I be this put together? Can I be a leader? Can I be, I don't know, a a kind of hero for the empire? And that's because he doesn't really know who he is. You know, he's searching for that through, as you say, these connections with other people. Like, well, if I tell them they're not doing good enough and I actually like help them elevate their position and like put a rocket up their butts, like, you know, I'm doing them a favor, but actually, no, you're just like making enemies. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard you with that, with that sense of him kind of like trying on a suit and trying on like who he's figuring out who he is. I've heard you describe that as kind of like him having an adolescence element to him. And obviously he's not physically and literally a teenager, but like you said, it is that element of there's spaces where he knows who he is a little bit, but at the same time, he also doesn't know who he is at all. And so where did you want to create that distinction of, of him really trying to find himself and figure himself out and just having a lot of uncertainty in himself? There were some um, really clear moments where that worked for me, like in, uh, as the approach to Ferex is happening in, in, se- in season <laughs> episode three. And um, he, all of a sudden finds himself giving a speech to these mercenaries. And it was written in a kind of like slightly, you know, he's finding it a bit difficult, but I was like, well, what if we really lean into this and show that this is like way beyond his like grade level. (laughs) And he's having severe doubts about like, oh, wow, like we could kill a lot of people. This could go completely wrong. thinking about all the consequences, but also being faced with these guys who, you know, each have like a hundred pounds on him and each have been, you know, in skirmishes and fights and battles and he hasn't. And so again, his like idea of what he thinks that he can do doesn't marry up yet. And because we've been, you know, sketching this character and all the characters across five years, you know, there's just such huge scope of where he's going to go. And Tony kind of mapped that out for me. And so it felt like, man, lean into this kid, basically, this kid inside a kind of grown up's body. And that goes further, you know, when he he crosses paths with Dedra later on. Um, and he's just like, he's just super weird um, in his communication. He just is like, I mean, for, for one thing, like she, she represents so much. She represents like an ideal on so many levels. Um, the cut of her suit is great, you know, um, but she is badass and kick-ass and she's a real scraper and he sees a kind of twin flame there and recognizing that her level of control and her level of desire of power and order matches and he hasn't really met someone like that before because we're just on like the outer edges of like you know there's no real empire presence until was it episode four maybe five so yeah i mean he yeah, and, and and I think once the directors started to kind of see that I was like leaning into that, they were like, oh, yeah, great. Like, like, let's use this kind of like kid who doesn't really know what he's doing because that's so anti. I mean, it's very real. We've all been in those situations where you get in over your head, but it's also very, I don't know, it's I, I haven't really seen a kind of villain like that in Star Wars, I guess. And with with what you were bringing up there about the moment where he's giving that speech and, you know, he's kind of the the smallest guy in the room and they could all probably take him and they're all kind of actively responding to knowing that he's he's playing a role in that moment. There's this kind of subversive and heartbreaking humor to that situation and watching him try to like pretend to be this version of a leader and what he imagines it to be. And, you know, even just 
some humoristic elements in the fact that he's kind of in essence the person like rolling their eyes in the room at everybody else all the time as well was was there any intention of of thinking about the way in which there's a very kind of nuanced and underlying humor in certain situations or is that really just a byproduct of the character and the, the performance and the writing in those particular moments I, I I sort of tend to be a sucker for leaning into leaning into the kind of comedy and the weirdness and I definitely wanted to find a place of like, you know, it's not, I don't mean that in terms of like, I'm always kind of looking for a laugh, but I, I definitely like to skate into that territory of like, what's happening here? Like, this is really awkward or something, you know? And some people find that funny and that's great. But like, I kind of like that messy awkwardness and, um, and that, and that, situation I think it was cut together like really well you know seeing all the other guys like reactions and stuff <laughs> makes it it makes it really good and with the directing on the show since you're bringing that side of things up as well um I love how there's so many scenes with him the end and then we really get this close-up and this this very kind of nuanced internalized emotional response of how he's feeling or just you know that's where a lot of the moments where we just see emotionally how everything is kind of breaking inside of him in a lot of moments where he's projecting something very different to everybody else in the room. Um, what was the relationship that you had with the directors and kind of with the camera in, in kind of whether you wanted to be aware of them coming in for like those close-ups and those real nuanced moments of silence, because there's a lot of internalized aspects to this character in your performance so far in the show. Yeah. I, I think that was, that was always going to be my approach with this character who is so rigid and controlled in what he presents that there's just this ocean underneath that he can't even speak. You know, he doesn't really, he learns to have a voice, but at the moment in, in what we've seen, he, he, he doesn't really. And um, so they were, I mean, God, like Toby, Suzanne and um, Ben were all just amazing. And, um, really careful and really like inclusive and you know you know is it gonna bother you and I was like no it's fucking like just you know come in like because I I always want to be led into those characters where you're like I think I know what's going on but then oh wow you get surprised and there's so much hopefully it conveys but there's so much going on under under the surface you know and in talking a little bit about his relationship with his mom, because those scenes are so brilliant and giving us so much exposition on him. Um, you know, what, what was that response when you read the script and you reached the moment where he first shows up at home and he's all he said is like mother. And then she just immediately slaps him because it's such a visceral moment on screen. And also just immediately gives us the entire dynamic and history of their relationship in one second and one action. That was like, I kind of dropped the script. I was like, Yes. <laughs> but the the cherry on that is actually that he says mother, she slaps him and then hugs him. And that's just like so toxic <laughs> and and perfect because it as you say, that tells you everything you need to know, everything you need to know about them. And um I just God, yeah. I mean, when he said, you know, he's going to go home and meet his mom, I was like, yeah, that's that's awesome. And then when he wrote 
Tony wrote the stuff. And I was just like, oh man, this is like a pinter play. This is <laughs> like some of the best writing because it's all, it's all about what's not said as well. I mean, even Edie, who's like pushing and pushing and has a lot to say to Cyril. There's so much physicality and like looks and like everything that's not said. And we, Catherine and I got to kind of play with each other and she's just amazing. I've seen her on stage a number of times. She's blown my mind every time. But I, I kind of then found a, a way to lean in more to Cyril's adolescence when he's back at home by like picking his fights through how he eats his cereal and like choosing <laughs> how like it kind of progresses like each time you see him eating a cereal it starts to get a little bit more like um aggressive I guess in his own way <laughs> right it's that thing where it doesn't matter how old you are there's always this kind of regressive version whenever you go home and for him he's at his lowest point you yeah know, lost his job in returning um, yeah so yeah did you really just kind of like look at who would the childlike version of this character be for a lot of those scenes yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the fact that he's got a room like that was kitted out with not much, but very particular things, you know, I, and I they were they were really cool about allowing me to suggest, you know, what was in there and what was not in there. And um, Yeah, I mean, I think I, I don't know, I think some people have experienced this like throughout the pandemic or other times in your life, like you've had to go back home for a little while and it's like, wow, <laughs> that brings so much to the surface. And um, those scenes kind of, yeah, weirdly in a way kind of do themselves. Cause I mean, everything about this show is so intricately designed, you know? I mean, there's detail in every single corner. They've thought of everything. There's something in every single drawer, every single cupboard. <laughs> You're like, oh wow, okay. Um, but yeah, the 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 returning home for Cyril was was like, yeah, leaning more into who he was at 16, I think. And like, yeah, I, I'll um I'll choose to do my battle through like making the coffee and stuff. Like I won't tell you what I think, but I'll bang around everything or I'll slurp my cereal and let you know how pissed off I am. And those scenes as well give us such a window into a lot of his behavior that we've seen up to that point and why certain things are important to him. So for example, when she's like, is that what you're wearing? Is that how you're going to wear your collar? We understand why he doesn't just like take a lot of pride in, in his uniform, but he's also kind of like tailored it and created his own sense of identity through that. Mm. And so how did you look to a lot of the scenes with his mom to really extract a lot of details for him in all of the other scenes and kind of who he is in the present from that relationship dynamic? Well, that's exactly it. I mean, so all of those earlier scenes were, are filled with the presence of his mother, you know, and, and yet him trying to form a kind of unique identity for his workplace environment, but his mother is there, you know, all the time. And I, I guess I wonder, like, you know, if people watch it again, I don't know, probably won't see that, but it was so useful to go in to um, 
into those ED scenes and be told so much about Cyril and then kind of use that when he's talking to his superior and when he's just like walking, it just feels like he's always got her eyes on him, you know, somehow. And even just in, in those scenes, you know, we see it's like this incessant monologue of criticisms towards him. And so then we really also understand his response when he feels like he's let himself down. And, and for you, did you kind of almost view him as someone that like as an adult out in the world, that there's no bigger critic in his world than the voice and the inner dialogue that's going on in his head? Because there's so many, again, going back to those camera shots, it feels like we just kind of get this real window into the disappointment and the way that he feels like he's let himself down when he hasn't achieved what he set out to. Yeah, we're all our own worst enemies for sure. And what's so toxic about Cyril is that that failure is doubly felt because he's gone above and beyond to prove himself, but also to prove himself to his superior, to prove himself to his mother. And when that fails and he has to go and then live at home, <laughs> like he knows on, on Ferrix when there's that kind of like, the end of everything going wrong. He knows, you know, he got people killed. Like there's no way that he's gonna be able to keep his job, let alone maybe even like ever have a job again. Yeah. And um, the like, it's so toxic because he's so desperate for his mom to say like, well done. She's the type of person that would be like, if he did well at work, you'd be like, cool. So what are you going to do next? And that's, that's hard for him. And I think like that, yeah, that, that, that loss and that oh, it's just so hard. Like I kind of feel for him so hard to, to not believe in yourself you know, and to, to seek for all of that validation outside of yourself. And, and he totally, you know, that's what makes him so susceptible to the empire because it is a big, shiny, perfect, sleek organization that rewards you for doing what they tell you to do, like working all weekend, taking power away from other people, informing on people, like, you know, keeping other people under your thumb it's it's and you just ascend the ranks and so yeah he's he's just uh yeah i feel sorry for him <laughs> i'm rambling i feel sorry for him <laughs> and, i mean that sense of order in the empire is obviously something that he needs and i was interested in how you viewed his relationship to conformity and non-conformity because in one way he really wants to conform he really wants to do exactly what they need of him he wants to succeed he wants to rise up through the ranks but then he's also you know the fallout comes from the fact that he himself says like you know you can never be too aggressive in maintaining order so he's mm. gone across the line because he feels like that's important you know and even just the detail of him tailoring his uniform when 
everybody else is wearing the meticulously like same thing around him in the same way. Um, and so how did you view that, that dynamic of him being someone that like so desperately wants to conform, but still kind of needs to have an aspect of himself. Cause now that he's, you know, kind of taken this other job through his uncle where like, it looks like he's in a version of the show severance, you know, you can just see the immediate unhappiness and that's not the conformity that he wants or needs because there's no freedom or flexibility in it. Right, 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 right. It's such a great question because, you know, in a way, Cassian represents this non-conformity free spirit who seems to be able to do whatever he wants and gets away with it, which just sends Cyril crazy. Like that's what part of his obsession is with Cassian is that he represents this free, free, like rebel who can just like get away with anything. And Cyril has spent his entire life just, you know, bringing the edges in closer and closer and closer until he can barely breathe. And he's just going like, what the hell, man? <laughs> like I'm barely getting by here and you're like winning. Um, part of that's part of that journey of being conformist and nonconformist is, well, at least I kind of took it from Tony's cue of like, you know, I don't, I don't really know where he's going to end up. You know, is he going to be good? Is he going to be bad? Like, you know, and it, it perfectly kind of felt with what he was writing that there is this like desire to be exceptional, desire to be nonconformist and just like everybody notice him. And yet at the same time, that fear of, well, I might not do it well enough. It might not be enough. I might not get it right or they might not like me. And I don't necessarily think that he doesn't, you know, he's afraid of people not liking him because he's a bit of a dick sometimes. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but it's, um, it's really, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's within his, like, it's within his makeup, this, he's two sides of a coin with Cassian, really. I feel like they're really, like, just clean foils of each other everything that kind of Cassian represents, like Cyril could actually, in terms of what he believes in and his ethos about justice and order and what's right and wrong, like he could exist on the rebel side, like with the right upbringing, the right situation, the right kind of, you know, home life or whatever, he definitely could exist over there. But circumstances and history and his own negative self-talk and his just toxicity that he grew up in has really propelled him into just this like mad journey to try and be part of the empire, which is about conformity. And so that wrestling between like his own spirit, which I think is kind of nonconformist and what this structure represents, which is like, look like everybody else, be, spotless don't tell your clothes and do what we tell you it's 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 weird that it's what he wants but it's not really who he is yeah. i mean i love how between tony's writing and, and your performance there are so many details in terms of us just really understanding you know these, these almost villainous actions in a way that you never get to in shows so it's been really fascinating to watch the development of this character and can't wait to watch the rest of the season thank you oh, so awesome. much kyle thank you thank you so much <laughs>